seems, at least in the recovery in this area, is surrender. Surrender is like a big thing. And the third step really just encapsulates that. It's like a decision that you make to surrender your will and your life over the care of something to something greater than self. Yeah. So this man, who was a, a master in, from India, who passed away, I think, in 1950, 1952, Ramana Maharshi, is sort of a famous dude. And this is written by his, one of his followers. And I thought it was really good. It says, the unity of surrender and self-inquiry. Self-inquiry is asking a subjective question. Yes? So like, if, if let's say there was a noting of worrying about next week, you wouldn't really be concerned about the worrying. You'd ask, who is it that's worrying about next week? And then the mind would you say, it's me. And then you would ask, well, who is this me? Who is this I? And hopefully by asking the question, the attention that usually starts from the, uh, the initial point of being identified as a self and then going out from there. So the attention, as it's traveling, is already carrying, let's say, the infection of the disease of self, yeah? It's you that's attentive. It's you that's aware, yeah? It's you that's on. It's you that's awake. It's you, it's you that is interested in this thing, yes? Instead of just seeing interest and attention like that. So in this way, by turning the attention the other way, it can sort of be freed of that, and then it can go back to, let's say, its source, yeah? Which I would say is what we are, which is that sense of being, or that sense of onness, yeah? That's indisputable, because you're seemingly here, yeah? So obviously, what brings you here, what brings you all of this, is an onness. Without being on, you wouldn't know anything, and therefore nothing would be, would be so for you. Yeah? There'd be no knowledge of anything, so there'd be nothing to be so. So what, what brings that about is the onness or the beingness, yeah? So like in recovery, it's almost like a change from self-centeredness to centeredness. So you, you're centered, but you're not centered in self anymore. So your interest and attention and, your, and where your, your interest and attention is, is Resting is not in self, which meets, makes it very agitated, and then it motivates it to seek relief, yeah? So when your attention and interest is resting in self, it's very agitated, yeah? And that agitation is looking for relief, so that's called self-seeking, yeah? But that same attention, if it was resting, let's say, if you want to call it being, or the onness, that would produce a different quality, which would be peace. Even if it was very wild and crazy out here, there'd still be a center of peace, of calmness or stillness, yes? That you would be, able, you would be aware of, or there'd be an awareness of. There's not you would be aware of it. That's, again, the self-centeredness, but that's our language. But there'd be an awareness of it, yeah? So you'd be aware of, while you were aware of all this other stuff going on, there would be a part of your awareness, or some of that awareness would be resting in the stillness. Now what happens is that we're very aware of thoughts and things like that, yet the awareness that's resting on the idea of being me is resting on a mental idea called self, which is causing it to be very agitated. So it not even is not even, not, not only is it busy out here, it's really busy up here, yeah? And actually, when it's even calm here, it's busy up here. Because when it's seen to be calm here, it doesn't believe it's going to last. So it's always actively agitated, like uh, something trying to rest on the skillet with heat underneath it. It's popping, it's just hopping all the time. That same attention interest, in, if, it would, if it was placed, yeah, 
Like in recovery, it says you, we will be placed in a position of neutrality. If you would be placed in that position of neutrality, of like peace or a sense of being, there would be a, an ease and comfort where the opposite is an irritability, restlessness, and discontent. It's the same attention, it's just what it's put on here. So if I'm centered, it's a totally different way of seeing life than self-centered. If I'm centered, life is seen as life is happening. If I'm self-centered, life is seen as it's happening to me. Yeah? That's a huge difference as the base theme of the interpretation, because both interpretations have life is happening. Yeah? You can't erase that while you're alive. Life is happening. But the one interpretation is cleaner in a way. Life is happening. It's a recognition of something. The other one is an interpretation of what's recognized, and that's called it's happening to me. Yeah? That's a huge interpretation. That's like a huge sucking something that has a force just to keep on going to like this little, to become a little eddy in this little stagnant pool of selfing, yeah? Yeah. So in self-inquiry, it's a way of questioning so that the attention that's going out to things all day and bringing information back to another thing called self, which is just keeps this self-centered loop going over and over. No matter how many thousands of things you meet, be it a terrible thing or a great thing, it's the same one who's meeting it, you. So the, the imprint of the selfing is on every event of the day in your life, yeah? So that would be called self-centered. This other form of centeredness, which is the same energy, yeah? There's no difference of the energy, it's just where it's placed. Where it's placed will cause it to produce something. To produce one, an effect. And for me, the effect is traveling lighter. Yes? So I like the idea of surrender because of recovery. It's such a big deal. And in this way, this, this guy is combining the both. Self-inquiry. Because self-inquiry was a method that this teacher, Sri Ramana Maharshi, gave to people. Yeah? Which is asking yourself to go back to the source. Yeah? To the source of being. So that the mind, the attention, when it would get there, could rest. And I mean really rest, because there's no agitation there, yeah? You can't rest on agitation. You're not going to get a good night's sleep, are you? If the bed was moving all different ways all night, it would be very difficult to sort of chill out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so here it goes. I'll read the whole thing if I can see it. All right, one of Ramana Maharshi's most frequent comments was that there were only two uh, reliable methods for attaining self-realization. And the way they use self is big self, yeah? Not, we use it as a small self, so to speak, yeah? An identification as being a long-lasting, independent, separate entity, that self. His idea of self is the self, or the I, yeah? The universal subjectivity. So the two reliable methods for, for attaining self-realization, one could either pr pursue self-inquiry or one could surrender. And most of us have gone through the surrender mechanism yeah, in recovery. At almost equally common a statement was that knowledge and devotion are ultimately the same <coughs> mean. Now wait a minute, I can't read with my eyes. The same mean. Any my glasses? Just just reading glasses? No, magnification. Magnification? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, oh. 
Oh, yes, okay. An, open, an almost equally common statement was that devotion and knowledge, knowledge is like more meditation, devotion is more like a surrender to a higher power, yes? Sometimes a god or a teacher is, or a divinity represented as an outside thing is what you surrender to, but the fact is the surrender isn't to that. So, an almost equally common statement is that jnana and bhakti are ultimately the same. This second statement is usually interpreted to mean that whichever the two paths one chooses to follow, the ultimate goal and the culminating experience will be the same. It is generally assumed that the two paths do not converge until the moment of realization is reached. However, if Ramana Maharshi's teachings are correctly interpreted, then it will be seen that the paths of surrender and self-inquiry merge before realization and that in the higher levels of practice, if one follows the path of surrender, then one's practice will be the same as that of someone who has chosen the path of self-inquiry. This may seem very radical at first sight, but this is only because of the general misconceptions that many people have about Ramana's teachings on the true nature, meaning, and practice of surrender. In order to eliminate these misconceptions and clarify Ramana's attitude and approach to surrender, it will be helpful to examine some of those commonly held ideas in the light of Ramana's statements on the surface on this subject. Firstly, to show how unfounded most of these ideas are, and secondly, by eliminating them to illustrate the profundity of Ramana's real teachings. The most convenient starting point for this inquiry is the relationship that exists between Ramana Maharshi, the Guru, and the thousands of people who call themselves his devotees. There is a long tradition in this country, India, of people accepting certain teachers as their Gurus, and then proclaiming immediately that they have surrendered to them. In most cases, this surrender is only a statement of intent or at best, which is the third step, yeah? Or at best, there is a partial surrendering to this new authority figure in the hope of acquiring some material spiritual reward, like a parking space in front of the meeting, or a job, or a relationship, yes? <laughs> so we basically have a higher power to ask it to do things for us. <laughs> So, in the hope of acquiring some material or spiritual reward. <laughs> Ramana's opposition to this type of religious bribery was quite clear and is best summed up in the following statement. Surrender to him and abide in his will. Whether he appears or vanishes, await his pleasure. If you ask him to do as you please, it is not surrender, but command to him. You cannot have him obey you and yet think that you have surrendered. He knows what is best and when and how to do it. Leave everything to him. His is the burden. You no longer have any cares. All your cares are his. Such is surrender. Now, in recovery, the dilemma that I've seen is that if the problem is identification as self, yes, if you're identified as something that you're not, and that identification as something that you're not claims to be the doer of all things that are done through you, and you and I get to the third step, and we decide to surrender, that what's actually going to do the surrender is self. Yeah? You'll be thinking it's you doing it, because that's what someone that's identified as self does. It calls you and self are synonymous. You take yourself to be self. Yeah? So when you say, I surrender, it means self-surrender. Now, if self-surrendered, then 
That's why a lot of people's experiences, when they surrender, they take it back, yes? And then they surrender, and then they take it back. And when shit hits the fan again, then they surrender again. But when things get good, they take it back. Or very important parts of their agenda, like their body image or their relationships with men or female, they don't, they surrender that, but they take it back every weekend, let's say, you know, with the hopes of meeting someone, this and that. That is what he was talking about, yeah, in a way. If self is, do, is, if self is claiming the surrender, then it's self surrendering to an idea of a higher power. Yeah? It's almost as if self is now giving the meaning to the higher power that it's surrendering to, and that meaning is that I can take whatever I surrender to back. <laughs> like that's most people's experience. Yeah? It's like, it's like a little kid, the big bully has the bag of candy, it gives it to the little kid, and then when it says, oh, take it, take it. You know, this is only driving me crazy. But then when it wants it, he just grabs it right back and the little kid just can't stop him. Yeah? So I would say that higher power isn't really a higher power when it's of your own understanding. Because it's not your own understanding. That understanding called yours has been claimed by self a long, long time ago. A long time ago. So it's self's understanding of a higher power. And self's understanding of higher power, in my experience, is that power is going to be weaker than self. So when shit hits the fan, your God ain't going to be anywhere near where you need it to help. Maybe you'll get parking spaces and everything like this. But when it really comes to the point of abandoning yourself, you've already done that to self. Yeah. There's already been an abandonment of our own nature and the acquiring of a false nature. It's already done. We're just trying to, we're trying to undo a deal that already happened. We're trying to make a decision and ask for some power to come in so that they can break the contract that we have with self as self. Yeah? Because obviously self can't get out of self. So if self is surrendering to an idea of God that it's having, I would say that's self trying to get out of self, which is impossible. Yeah? It's You're immediately defeated. It's all conditional and circumstantial. It's like if you looked at it like a God, it would be like more like the God of the Old Testament, you know? Jealous, moaning, don't put any other God in front of me. That sure sounds like that self, doesn't it? The selfing. It sure sounds like it. Jealous is crazy, very competitive. No other God can be put before me. Everything is. I'm the biggest God here. So, I just wanted to get into this because I like this. So, I love that. He says, okay, if you ask him to do as you please, it is not surrender, but command to him. You cannot have him obey you and yet think that you have surrendered. He knows what is best. Da, da, da. This statement, typical of many that he made, is a categorical refutation of the idea that one can surrender to one's God, a guru, and yet demand that the God, a guru, fulfills one's desires or solves one's problems. <laughs> Despite this often repeated refutation, uh, Refuting, it is probably true to say that the majority of Ramana devotees both believe that they have surrendered to Ramana, yet at the same time would not hesitate to approach him with their personal material problems, especially if the perceived need requires an urgent solution. In Ramana's teachings on surrender, there is no room for stray desires and new, no room for expectations or miracles, no matter how desperate the situation might appear to be. So in recovery, they say you have to abandon yourself. It doesn't say you've got to make a deal, no deal, a new deal for self. <laughs> you've got to get something better to make plans with. No, it says you have to abandon, abandon. 
If you have surrendered, you must be able to abide by the will of God and not make a grievance out of what may not please you. These are some statements he made. So under Ramana's strict interpretation of absolute surrender, the only appeals which might qualify for approval are those where the devotee approaches the God or Guru with the attitude, this is your problem and not mine. Please attend to it in any way you see fit. All right. This attitude bears the mark of partial surrender for it. It fulfills the bare minimum requirements of Ramana's definition of true surrender. On this level of surrender, there is no longer any expectation of a particular solution. There is simply a willingness to accept whatever happens. Doesn't mean you, you have the ability to accept whatever happens, but a willingness, yeah? You're willing to accept whatever happens. It is interesting to note in this connection that although Ramana clearly stated that devotees who wanted their problems solved were not practicing true surrender, he did admit that surrendering one's problems to God was a legitimate course of action for those who felt that they could not stick to his absolute teaching of complete surrender. So that's like progress, not perfection, yeah? In recovery. The admission that the God... So if we can reach this point where we accept that we can ask uh, God to solve our problems and still claim that we have surrendered, then we move forward a few steps in our understanding of his teachings. But if we then try to put our new understanding into practice, we immediately encounter a new and apparently insolvable problem. The problem is that the desire to surrender is in itself a desire, yeah, which we want fulfilled. So this is the, the, the dilemma of self can't get out of self. yeah. So when you study like two years about how to get out of the obsession with self, that's being obsessed with self. So the, 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 the topic of getting out of self can be a form of being in self. Yeah? This is the little insoluble problem of mind with the, cent with the self-centered logic. It's very difficult to come out of this little Chinese thumb torture thing. So the problem is that the desire to surrender in its, itself a desire which we want fulfilled. And since, according to Ramana, true surrender cannot be accomplished without complete desirelessness, the presence of this desire in us is sufficient to prevent true surrender from taking place. It is the paradox of effort, which is inherent in nearly all forms of practice, spiritual practice, yes? Simply stated, the problem is that there is a perception that there is an individual self which wants to extinguish itself so that the state of realization will be revealed. Yeah, pretty good statement. Simply stated, the problem is that there is a perception that there is an individual self, Paul, which wants to extinguish Paul, so self wants to get out of self, wants to extinguish itself so that the state of realization will be revealed to Paul, basically. <laughs> I want to be there when it gets good. Yeah. I want to I be there, but I want to realize, realize my absence, but I want to realize it as a presence called Paul. <laughs> so, <laughs> simply stated, the problem is that there is a perception that there is an individual self which wants to extinguish itself so that the state of realization would be revealed but anything which this individual self tries to do to eliminate itself merely prolongs its own existence. You see, we talk about this every week for years. I just like to read it from others, someone else's thing. We constantly talk about self can't get out of self. That if I'm sitting there trying to figure my way out, that's being in. 
<laughs> yeah? And no matter how many plans, no matter how many mythical escape doors I see, they're still in this mental prison because there's no point where self is going to appear outside of itself. Yeah? There's no point where self is going to run into its, its finite parameters and then it's going to leap over the fence and look back at the self from self's point of view. Anywhere self appears is the fence post, yeah? It's constantly moving like a goalpost. It is not a stationary place that is being out of self. It's when the identification as in self is self is in place, everywhere is being in self. There's not one place self can go to be out of itself. This is the beautiful news, because if it's really seen, there can be a deep relaxation of this whole giant engine of seeking. <coughs> so here, if one sees spiritual practice as something that one does to attain realization, then there is no solution to this problem. There is no solution because the whole problem stems from the totally false assumption that this individual self has a real existence. So we put it as the only way to get out of this problem is realizing it's imaginary. When, you're, when you realize it's imaginary, that's being out of the problem. If you try super hard to get out of the problem, that's making the imaginariness seem real. So, here he goes. The first path along the path to true surrender is not to throw oneself at someone's feet and say, I surrender. It is the cultivation of the awareness and the understanding that there is no individual self to surrender. And this is, this is <laughs> see this again. The first, path the, the first path along the path to true surrender is not to throw oneself at someone's feet and say, I surrender. It is the cultivation of the awareness and the understanding that there is no individual self to surrender and that this individual self never at any time has had or will have any real existence. When Ramana said on several, several occasions, who is to surrender what and to whom? <laughs> he was trying to drive home this fundamental point, fundamental point. In Buddhism, they have the Eightfold Path of... Uh, the Eightfold Path of whatever. It comes after the Four Noble Truths, and it is the Eightfold Path. And some people say the Eightfold Path is circular, but if you look at it from a linear point of view, the first statement is right view, and then it's right livelihood, right practice, right meditation. The right view would be encapsulated in what this person just said. Yeah? Like, in, in the old language that they first writ, wrote after Buddha was here, called Pali, it was the word anatta, which means non-self. Yeah? The best illustration of, of this point that I have come across appears in a recent publication called The Secret of Arunachala. That's the mountain where he lived. In it, a devotee remarked to, to Brahmana that a certain fellow devotee must be well advanced on the spiritual path because he meditated for eight to ten hours every day. And this Ramana says, Oh, replied Brahmana, he meditates, he eats, he sleeps, but who is meditating, eating, sleeping? What advantage is there in meditating for 10 hours a day if in the end that, on, if in the end that only has the result of establishing you a little more deeply in the conviction that it is you who are meditating? <laughs> That's one of the fundamental 
the falls of self and self. You have to see that because there's an identification as self, it's different than you have something that's bothering you and you've got to get away from it. In this case, what's bothering you is what thinks it's having something bother it, and when it tries to get away from that, it's getting away from it as the thing that's really bothering it. And when it moves towards a new solution, it's, the, it's moving towards a solution as the thing that's really bothering it. And when it has a problem with that solution, and it gets another solution, it's moving as a, the thing that's bothering it, yeah? And it's very difficult for it to recognize it. Why? Because it's in the act of being identified as it. It's not identified as it. It's the act of identified as it. In other words, everything that's happening, everything that's noting is claimed. I'm the doer, I'm the seer, I'm the hearer, I'm the thinker, I'm the this, I'm the this. I, this is my time, this is my life. Everything is claimed. And in that claiming, that's the act of selfing, yes? And that, which I would say, is the inherent blindness, the inherent blindness. So, this aspect of Ramana's teachings that one is already realized here and now is widely ignored when it comes to practice, but its importance cannot be overstated. Ramana has said, the removal of ignorance is the aim of practice, of practice and not acquisition of realization. Yeah? That's the whole point of the 12 steps. The whole point of the 12 steps is an undoing of the system called self-centeredness. It's not building a new system. It's when the old system is undone, a new system takes over. Because the, the possibility is inherently available at all times with no requirement necessary because it's timeless. It's a timeless solution. Yeah? All you have to see be, is to entertain or to realize how, what you're ignoring is the fact that what you're taking yourself to be is not you. When that's, all right, now we're not going to ignore that. We're going to start entertaining it that it may not be us. And now, suddenly, our attention gets freed from just going back to you all day, but going seemingly through you and resting in the source. So instead of stopping here and being self-centered, it now goes and gets centered, yeah? Let's say in the beingness. And then the life that's lived demonstrates that. It translates it. To me, it translates it in an overall statement of traveling lighter. That's what happens. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So the most fundamental, fundamental piece of ignorance is that there exists an individual self who is going to do practice. And by doing practice, this individual self will disappear or be merged in some super being. Until this concept is eliminated on the mental level, it is not an exaggeration to say that one is wasting one's time in attempts to surrender or to inquire, who am I? Correct attitude and correct understanding of this matter are of preeminent importance. Just like in recovery. If self is what believes, if self is claimed the act of the decision to surrender, it's totally nuded the possibility of what can happen. Because now it's going to be a God of its own understanding. Yeah? Where instead, when it's centered, it's a God, you, real, you have a, a real, an understand, you have a, you realize God's own understanding of itself instead of your understanding of it. Yeah? So I, I want a God of its own understanding. I don't want a God of my own understanding. Because my own understanding is, a, is going to be a very small God. 
It's going to be framed, and it's going to have qualities that I conceptually give it. Instead of having it be revealed what God is to me, I want to know what God is to me. And in that knowing, it gets neutered, yes? But if I can stay in the I don't know, then I find out. And then a new source of power, not claimed by self, but a new source of power demonstrates its source by its moving through your life. You'll start intimating the presence of what you can't see, feel, taste, touch, and think of yet, but you'll start intimating it. You'll sense it. I call it like you'll sense a presence, or you'll sense the, the, um, the awareness of all moments, because the, shift, the emphasis of your attention will shift from self-centeredness to centeredness. That's all that we're entertaining here. It's a slight recalibration. All of the qualities, all the equipment are in place. We have tons of interest in attention. You know what I mean? You don't run out of attention, do you? It's all, as long as you're on, there's attention. You're attending to things all fucking day. And when you try not to attend, that's also attention. Yeah? So there's tons of attention going on. But the attention, is, has, its effect here isn't based on itself, but on what it's resting in. If it's resting on self-centeredness, its purpose now will be to reinforce the idea of being a self. So you, if you have a belief that you're no good, what you'll attend to when a hundred people say something nice to you and one person does it, you'll attend to that one person who didn't say something nice to you. That's where your mind will go. That's where it will rest and go over and mull over it, right? The other 99 compliments will be erased like that. And you have to see it. It's biased. Once it's in self-centeredness, it's now enslaved to reinforce the idea of being a self. So you're not attending anything just for the joy of attending to it. It's there to make up a story. Yeah? It's there to pick up information to come back and make up a story about how great you are or how terrible you are or how great someone else is or how terrible someone else is. There's an agenda, yeah? Alright, so returning now to the practice of surrendering, bearing in mind the necessity, the necessity of maintaining the right attitude with regard to the non-existence of the individual self. That's what I attempt to do here. I'm in recovery. For years I was in the, in the recovery from the point of view of self getting better, in a way. Then something was revealed, and I'm just trying to share it so maybe we can get the, what I would take to be the correct view, and then build our program on the correct view instead of having a program built on the incorrect view. And maybe the same program, based on the correct view, will be, in so, be infused with so much more light and juice than it would be when it's on the incorrect, you know, diagnosis. I think the correct, it's like, it's like that first point to where you start from geometrically progresses in everything else you do. In other words, if I, if I take 8,000 steps, but the first step is in the wrong direction, I'm going to end up where I didn't want to go. Even though I walked a long way, and I really walked every day a lot, but my direction was off, yeah? It was off because it was calibrated from self-centeredness. Life was seen as it was happening to me. Instead of centeredness, and then life is happening. So this, the key to this problem, oh, so 
The right attitude with regard to the non-existence of the individual self. There remains the problem of how to surrender since the mere desire to surrender invents an illusory person who is going to surrender. So this is he's going to talk about self trying to get out of self and how impossible it seems to be. The key to this problem and the key to all problems connected with the practice of Ramana's teachings is to bypass the mind. To bypass the self-centered system of thought. Now how I find it's possible if you're not the center of it, you'll immediately lose interest and attention. Just like I always use the example of being very interested in this lady speaking in this other room because I have some plans for her, yeah, intimately with me. I'm going to have a kid and everything. I haven't even talked to her, but I'm already <laughs> fantasizing how great it's going to be when I'm married to her. So I'm supposedly doing something here, but my interest and attention isn't there. And people can throw a book on the table, how to stop listening to conversations in other rooms, and I can page through it, but it doesn't seem to work. And people can say, you know, Paul, you should really be doing what you're doing. Yes, that, that sounds very profound. Yes, I should be. But my attention and interest is there. Because it's not free. It's in slavery to self. And to self, that woman means a whole lot. Yeah? it means a possibility of having a much better moment than the moment I think I'm in now. And that's, I would do almost anything to go after that. So there I am, I'm trying doing this, but I'm listening, listening, but as soon as she starts talking, and she's talking about another guy named Matt, what happens? I lose a t interest in it, my attention gets withdrawn from trying to listen to like four foot of wall to listen to this conversation and try to make sense of it. All that interest and attention gets free. I don't have to take a workshop. I don't have to go on a retreat. It just comes right back to where? Here. Here. Yeah. Not here. Here. Here is resting in being. Here, right, it's residing in self. This is called obsession. This is called rest. Obsession, rest. Self being very agitated, selfing. If you rest on it, this, this agi you're agitated, yes? Your attention and interest. If this being very still, spacious, you rest there, reliability, baby. And easy comfort comes over you. It's almost like being soothed. So one cannot truly surrender without escaping from the vast accumulation of ideas and desires we call it. You've got to let go of all your old ideas or the result will be nil. That's what we say in recovery. We call the mind. And according to Ramana, one cannot escape or destroy the mind by any kind of mental activity. And self is a mental activity, selfing. And selfing ain't never going to get out of a mental activity. <laughs> Ramana's solution is to let the mind subside to the point where it disappears. And what remains when the mind has subsided is the simple, pure being that was always there. In a conversation, he gives the following illuminating answer. He says, it is enough that one surrenders oneself. Surrender is to give oneself up to the original cause of one's being. One's source is within oneself. Give yourself up to it. That means that you should seek the source and merge in it. Yes? So when, if the self that has you has all your interest and attention in that realm of self-centeredness is not you, this is what I found to be the case, 
my interest and attention got freed from the self-centeredness. Because all it was homing in on was whatever I took myself to be. If I take myself to be something other than self, let's say beingness or onness, then the attention and interest will start going and start learning how to just keep going there. No matter what the mind says, the mind won't be able to capture the interest and attention after a while. Yeah, it'll just keep going back to realizing I'm not that, I'm not that. It doesn't have to say it, it's in a realization now. I'm not that. All of that which is agitating and going crazy, oh yeah, I am not that. So in that stillness, you can see the agitation. Your interest and attention doesn't leave and go up into that. It's just like how we go up the ass of self. That's exactly what happens, right? As soon as you go up the ass of self, then you're in its realm. And now everything is all about there and then. All the importance has left this moment. This moment is taken to be, oh, this is already so, fuck that. What's going to happen and what did happen? That's what I want to know more about. What's going to happen to me and what did happen? The, 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 the value of this moment is totally empty. There's no value in the mental realm to this moment. It just sees this moment as a place to fixate on there and then. So it does. It thinks about you in this moment and you as a body. That's how it fixates on you somewhere else at some other time. It fixates you as a body and just places you somewhere else at some other time in every moment. In every moment, it's basically the place it wants to get out of is here. And it does it in the mental here. Because in the mental here, time has a huge meaning. Yet time, you can't show me time. You can't prove, you cannot, here's a big chunk of time, Paul. You see it? Called the past. Look how fucking dripping with meaning this. Very heavy. And then the future, ooh, it's just vibrating in anxiety. Anything could happen probably bad. Look at it. Look at it. No, you can't. All you do is entertain it up here. And you picture this body that you think is you somewhere else at some other time. And it drives who? You fucking crazy. And then you want to get relief. Yeah? And if you want to get relief, and the relief you're getting doesn't work, it's going to lead you to fuck it. And when you let the fuck it, if you have a problem called alcoholism, it's going to lead you to a drink or a drug or acting out. And then it's going to paint it really black in there. Really black. And it looks like there's no way out. So a, a, a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body becomes a hopeless state of mind and body. Seemingly means it appears to be true or false to you based on where you're looking at it from. If you're looking at it from centeredness, it is not a hopeless state of mind and body. It's just a state of mind and body. Yeah? When you're looking at it from self, it's a hopeless state of mind and body. And you're apt to do almost anything when you believe it's hopeless. You'll have 20 years of recovery and you'll throw it out like it was worthless over one night. Yeah? So, it is enough that one surrenders oneself. Surrender is to give oneself up to the original cause of one's being. One source is within oneself. Give yourself up to it. This is an immensely profound statement which not only sweeps away many of the myths that surround the practice of surrender, it also shows an indication that the route to the rediscovery of the self, the, you know, the universal, is the same whether one chooses to label it surrender or self-inquiry. It says here, Rama says, if this is... 
If we examine this statement closely, it is possible to extract three important conclusions regarding Ramana's attitude and approach to surrender. Firstly, there is no external deity or manifestation to whom one must surrender. Secondly, the source of one's being is within us. And thirdly, and most importantly, true surrender is to go back to the original cause of one's being and remain firmly and continually rooted there. <coughs> Ramana Maharshi says, your duty is to be and not to be this or that. Yeah? Your duty is to be and not to be this or that. I am that I am sums up the whole truth. This method is summed up in be still. Yeah? All right. Is it all right? It's okay? Yes? Okay, go on. This, the stillness and the being which Ramana speaks coexist with each other and reveal themselves in their full radiance whenever, whenever interest in one's thought stream dries up. It doesn't say the thought stream dries up, does it? It says in one's interest in the thought stream dries up. That's exactly what happens with this invitation, yeah? The thought stream doesn't dry up. The interest, you lose interest in the thought stream because the thought stream is about you as a self and if you're not that, you're going to lose interest in it, yeah? The whole kit and caboodle. You'll get lost, lose interest in the idea of being a self and you'll lose interest in a thought system that just reinforces that all freaking day. In other words, the emphasis or the attention will leave what we've been truly relying on and actually, perhaps there's a better way in recovery, start trusting something infinite instead of something finite, like self. Yeah? Because in recovery it says, why do you have so much fear today? Isn't it because self-reliance has failed you? The whole system has failed. It's a failed system. Any system that needs excuses, rationale, and blame must be a failed system. If someone had a business and they delivered the couch when they said they were going to deliver it on the day they said it, in the condition the couch was going to be in, would they need excuses? Would they need rationalizations? Would they need blame? No, because they delivered the goods. It wouldn't be a big story about it. They totally reliable. Why? Because they delivered the goods. What does your head seem to spend a lot of time in? Excuses, rationalizations, and blame. <laughs> Those are signals or signposts of your traveling within a, a failed system. And because there's an identification of what's traveling in it, you're wanting to get out of it is part and parcel of that system. Self can't get out of self. So the stillness in the being speaks. All right. Thus, for Ramana, the practice of surrender is to find within oneself this feeling of beingness and surrender oneself completely to it. On this level of surrender, practice consists of giving up wrong ideas by refusing to give them attention. Yeah. You don't even have to refuse to give them attention. Your attention will be in, in attending to something else other than that. Yes? And the emphasis will shift. A large portion of your attention will be on the presence and then there'll be a portion of your attention, maybe still watching the little, that little ticker tape below the scene of what's happening, the narration of what's happening. Big explosion next week in Karachi, you know? Eight years ago, someone said, fuck you, Paul. <laughs> yes, you know? While you were consciously in contact, but your, your little self-mind goes to the, what does this mean, what does it mean, what does it mean? Yeah. Maybe a little bit of it, but not all of it anymore, yeah? Your attentional interest will be resting in something that disengages from the insane, obsessive interest in the thought system. 
So, the removal of ignorance is the aim of practice, practice and not acquisition of realization. It's extremely relevant in this connection, for it is only wrong ideas that separate us from a full awareness of our natural state. Only wrong ideas. And the biggest, the oldest old idea is the idea of being a self. Taking yourself to be a body. The practice is the fruit of the conviction that there is nothing to surrender, for by denying attention to the mental processes, one is finally surrendering the erroneous idea that there is an individual self to surrender. This is what we've been going through in these meetings for years. He's saying it in a different way. But the emphasis shifts from self-centeredness to centeredness. That's what's happening. When one attempts to practice this conviction by putting attention on the feeling of being that is within, that is within us, thoughts and desires will initially continue to grow at their normal rate. But if attention is maintained over a period of time, the density of thoughts decreases, and in the space between them, there emerges the clarity, the stillness, and the peace of pure being. So you start sensing the space between thoughts, yeah? You start sensing the space that the thoughts are appearing in. And that's the sense of being. That's the presence. That's where your attention is starting to rest in. So now, before it would only notice the thoughts, now it's noticing the space. Yeah. Because its attention has been weaned off of this obsession with self, and now it's abiding in, in centeredness, yeah? Abiding and obsession are the same thing. Abiding means resting in, like cons consistently, and obsession is what most people do in self. Yeah? They're obsessing over self most of the day, aren't they? That's called, that's what's driving everyone seemingly crazy, is that their mind won't stop, stop thinking about its fucking self. Yeah? Abidance, that same way, if that same energy was put into somewhere else, it would turn into what you call abidance or resting in the truth. Yeah? Same, same energy. So occasionally this stillness and this peace will expand and intensify until a point is reached where no effort is, is needed to sustain the awareness of being. The attention merges imperceptibly with the being itself, and the occasional stray thoughts no longer have the power to distract. When this point of surrender has been reached, all the ignorant misperce misperceptions which constitute the illusory ego have disappeared. But this is not the final state of realization, because the misconceptions are only in suspension, and sooner or later can, they can emerge again. Just like people who have 20 years of sobriety, like my friend who went out after 21 years. Now that stuff that seemed to have been submerged, that certain aspect of selfing called alcoholism that had been submerged for 20 years, one years came back up. And then, once that sleeping dog woke up, she thought it was going to go back to sleep with a little lullaby or two, but no, now that it was awake, it wanted to stay awake, and it started barking, and it started shitting, and it started demanding walk, get taken out for a walk, and she, a lot of her attention and interest had to go to fucking deal with that, that dog, and it got to a point where she couldn't just do it going back to meetings. She had to go into a month-long program, and even then she couldn't, the obsession had her. So even though, it, it, and it was gone for 20-something years, it was there, in, you know, in potential, and when the circumstances and conditions were right, it came back. Yeah? She threw it a bone, and that was that. 
That's like the thing, you're never recovered from alcoholism, in a sense, yeah? You're not recovered from alcoholism. Yet your problem will not exist for you, but it still has the post potential to exist for you again. Just like in some extent, it wasn't existing for her anymore, but now it does exist for her, yeah? That's why if there's an honoring of that emphasis shift, when the emphasis starts staying in the centeredness, yes, and if there's an honesty, on, an honoring of that when, to coincide with it, that's a real good, like, lacking mechanism, yeah? The honoring really does something with it, yeah? When the emphasis, because the emphasis still has the possibility of shifting, yeah? If certain circumstances come up, or a little bug gets up your butt, you can fire this fucking thing off again. But if the honoring is there, that honoring has a real good ability to keep it in, you know, in the other, on the centerness. If it take, if it becomes complacent and you're taking it for granted, and in a sense the selfing has claimed it as if you're in that position, then it can probably suck up the yes of selfing. So the individual self never at any time existed. Oh, that's the first one, right? So the only purpose of spiritual practice is to remove the idea that we are not. <laughs> Secondly, there is no individual self to extinguish because the individual self never at any time existed. And thirdly, no amount of mental practice is helpful because the mind cannot do anything except extend the frontiers of its own ignorance. So in other words, like we said, self can't get out of self. Wherever self shows up, that's in self. <laughs> if an awareness of these points is continually maintained, how about three times a week? That's not bad. <laughs> I mean, that's helpful, I'd say. <laughs> then the most obvious errors in practice can be avoided. Yeah. Repetition. One immediately sees that concentration on a point in the body is counterproductive because it involves mental effort. One can also eliminate the idea of self-inquiry is a mantra or an exercise in self-analysis because both of those approaches involve mental activity. On a more subtle level, if one maintains an awareness that the individual self at no time ever exists then one can avoid the dangerous but often deeply rooted notion that self-inquiry involves oneself looking for another self. Yeah? I'll say that again. I like that one. One can also eliminate the idea that self-inquiry is a mantra. A mantra is a thing you say over and over and over again, basically based on the sound of it, because it puts the mind into a trance, right? Produces brainwaves that are more peaceful. On a more subtle level, one maintains the wind, but often, all right, to cut, oh, is a mantra or an, or an exercise in self-analysis because both of these approaches involve mental activity. Once again, self. Self is asking itself the question. <laughs> on a more subtle level, if one, if one maintains an awareness, so we're, what we're doing here is we're entertaining a possibility, yeah? Three times a week, 
as many weeks as we have, as many times as people show up. Now, I've shown up at every meeting. I haven't missed one meeting yet in 19 years. <laughs> and I'm so... Uh, these, both of these involve mental activity. On a more subtle level, one maintains an awareness that the individual self at no time ever exists. So a subtle, see, maintains an awareness that the individual self at no time ever exists, and one can avoid the dangerous but often deeply rooted notion that self-inquiry involves one self looking for another self. To cut through the entanglements of these and similar misconceptions and to find out what positive practice of practical advice Ramana had to offer on self-inquiry, one cannot do better than go back to the words of the master himself. The purpose of self-inquiry is to focus the entire mind at its source, in the sense of being. Yeah? So what we call, if it was focused on its source, it would be called centered, yeah? Let's say being-centered, in a way, instead of self-centered. From self-centered, being-centered sounds like you did something. I'm being centered, yeah? But being centered, let's say, yeah? The purpose of this focusing is the same as that which has been outlined for the practice of surrender. The mind is only a connection of ignorant ideas, and unless one steps completely outside this mental realm, by keeping attention on the being from which the mind emerges, then the ignorance and the wrong ideas inevitably continue. It is important, so it says here, Connection of unless one steps completely outside the mental realms. That's what I mean. We're attempting to step outside the mental realm by disclaiming the fact that we're the center of that system of thought called self-centeredness. Yeah? That we are not a long-lasting, independent, separate entity. We're just throwing a suspicious wrench into that works, and let's see what happens. And maybe the mind will come out of that mental realm, that mental process realm, and then mind will see, because that's its nature. Yeah. Now, when it's taken the nature of being a self, it's looking, which is a form of blindness to the seeing. Yeah. When it's broken from that, it sees. When it's underneath that tyranny, it's looking. Yeah. It's the same seeing, but one is looking. It's an interpretation of seeing, and now it's one thing looking at other things. And everything I look at as humans think they're the subject, and I think I'm the subject. Yet when I see that subject that's thinking it's the subject, it looks like a body. <laughs> so I call Deb an object. And Deb, I'm, think, I'm totally obsessed with me as a subject, but when Deb looks at me, she sees a body, <laughs> an object, yes. <laughs> it is important to note that Ramana never explains self-inquiry as a practice by which an individual self is eliminated. He always phrases his advice to indicate that when one looks for the source of the mind or the ego, they both disappear. And it is discovered that neither of them ever existed. This stepping outside the mind is as crucial to any understanding of self-inquiry as it is to an understanding of surrender. Yeah. So in his point of view, if there's the identification of self in place, yeah, this is my way of seeing it, that when I take myself to be the one that's surrendering, it is not actually I, it's what you would call a me, yeah? 
an I, a subjectiveness, claimed by a mental process and turned into me as a body. Yeah? That now I'm doing the awareness instead of the awareness being. I'm doing, I am aware. In other words, like it's something I'm doing. Yes? If that's the case, then when I do the third step, the third step, its possibility is going to be severely limited by my own understanding. Yeah? Because it's going to be a power of my own understanding, not its own understanding. And I'm just saying, maybe, just maybe, if we could take the view first, before we surrender, that who is it that is surrendering? And if I'm not that, and instead of the self-surrendering, maybe surrender the self. Maybe surrender the idea of being a self. Instead of surrendering as a self, maybe surrender the idea of being a self. And maybe it would translate into a, uh, a different way of living, this lifestyle that we've been offered, yeah? It's happened with me. That's why I share it. I was in the practice of recovery, and then this message got through, and it totally illuminated the way of life called AA for me to another, to a much brighter level. And it's, and it's been steady for years now. And actually, it's getting brighter and brighter. More gets revealed. Yeah? And there's no reason why anything has to stop, because there's no one for it to stop for. And there's no one that's caused to stop. Because I definitely don't see myself as a self. So whatever is coming down is coming down. Yeah. So the fact that the mind is only a bundle of thoughts, how can you extinguish it? By the thought of doing so or by a desire, your thoughts and desires are part and parcel of the mind. The mind is simply fattened by new thoughts rising up. Therefore, it is foolish to attempt to kill, by, kill the mind by the means of the mind. The only way to do it is to find its source and hold on to it. This finding the source and holding on to it is the beginning, end, and purpose of self-inquiry. The precise method is simple and well known. When thoughts arise, one does not allow them to develop. One asks oneself the words, to whom do these thoughts occur? And the answer is to me. And then the question occurs, then who am I? What is this thing in me which I keep calling I? By doing the practice, practice, one is shifting attention from the world of thoughts to the being from where the thoughts and the thinker first emerge. The trans—I want to say that again. By doing this practice, one is shifting attention from the world of thoughts to the being to the being from where the thought and the thinker first emerge. The transfer of attention is simply executed, or emphasis. Yes, the transfer of attention is simply executed because if one holds on to the feeling I am, the initial thought of I will gradually give way to the feeling of I. Not a thought of I am, but a feeling I am. Yes? You leave the mental realm thinking I'm that, and then a sense, a feeling of presence of that. And then sooner or later, this feeling I am will merge into being itself to a state where there is no longer either a thinker of the thought I or a feeler of the feeling I am. There will only be being itself. This is the stage where attention to the feeling of I am has merged with the being from which it came so that there is no longer the dualistic distinction of a person giving attention to the feeling of I am. There is only being and awareness of being. That's traveling later. <laughs> That's the epitome of traveling lighter. <laughs> if this practice is done persistently, then this, the verbal redirection of attention 
soon becomes redundant. Yes? The verbal redirection of attention following the narration becomes redundant, yeah, in a way. Yeah? You see it. It's the same old, same old, same old, same old, same old, same old. Maybe it's about a dog. Once the dog was Biff, and then now it's Fido, so you think it's different. But it's basically the same old, same old, same old, same old, same old. <laughs> soon becomes redundant. As soon as there is the awareness of attachment to a particular thought, then attention is immediately switched back to the being from which the thoughts and the imaginary thinker came. Yes, that's how beautiful it gets. It is important to stress that the verbal preliminary of asking who am I or to whom do these thoughts occur are simply tools to redirect the attention. The real self-inquiry begins with the subsequent witnessing of the disappearance of the thoughts and the reemergence of being as the mind subsides into temporary abeyance. Ramana said, spiritual practice consists of withdrawal into the self. Every time you are disturbed by thought, it is not concentration or destruction of the mind, but withdrawal into the self. Yeah? Since in Ramana's terminology, the terms being and self are virtually synonymous, what he is describing here is the practice of withdrawing into being and rem remaining there undisturbed by the transient distractions of thoughts. This practice may be viewed from two perspectives. On the higher levels of surrender, maintaining awareness of being can be seen as a surrendering of wrong ideas, including the wrong idea that there is someone to surrender. Whereas in self-inquiry, one reaches the same point of being by actively discarding thoughts and by tracing back the feeling of I am until it finally subsides into the being from which it came. Though the two descriptions might appear to be describing two completely different approaches, da -da -da -da. It is the state of perfect awareness and perfect stillness combined. It is the interval between two successive thoughts. It is the pause, in a sense. That eternal pause. And the source from which th thoughts spring. Go, go to the root of the thoughts and you reach the stillness of sleep. But you reach it in the full vigor of search. That is, with perfect awareness. The point which Ramana describes so graphically is the point of convergence between the path of self-inquiry and the path of surrender. The final definitive detachment from ignorance has not yet happened. But this a final elimination is a matter for grace. Yeah? So. I think it blends so beautifully in the 12 steps, if you see it. Yeah? The 12 steps have given us a huge gift. The program recovery, they told us what the problem was. Yeah? They didn't get to the root, I believe. They got to its activity, which is obsession with self. But selfing, this mental activity that implies being a solid, inherent thing, it can't make it to be so, it can make it appear to be so, yeah? So it needs a lot of advertising, a lot of thought systems. That's why, they, in a sense, supposedly your head has 70,000 thoughts a day. I mean, for you to do your job, does it take 70,000 thoughts to get a job done? I mean, maybe 70. What are the others, you know? 69,300 and whatever thoughts doing most of the time. I would say their real agenda is to reinforce the idea of being a self. They're like the, the constant applying of a glue every day so that your attention and interest is bonded to the idea of being a self. 
So what seemingly is so is so for you. It appears to be a true or false to you. Yeah. So we say in recovery, please, please, please relieve us of the bondage to self. That bonding agent is what? Believing in the thought. Believing is in being the subject of the thoughts, which is you, and being and the subjects of the thoughts, which is on the thinker. Actually, that you're the object of the thoughts is you, and then you're the subject by believing you're the thinker of it. You try to play both roles. Yeah. In one minute, you'll be this thing will be sort of like talking about you as if it's an object, and then you'll be the one thinking. Yeah. It just it just it shifts position, but in a way, it's constantly claiming every thought. Yeah. This is the constant application of the bonding agent of self. It doesn't say, please relieve us from self. It says, please relieve me of the bondage to self. Yeah? I'm bonded to it. Yeah? How am I bonded to it? How am I bonded to it? Through the, through the, the adoration and the worship of the thought system. Really. The I, me, my captures all of our attention and interest most of the day. So we're constantly kneeling down in that altar of self. We're always giving up everything to it. Yeah? If it says, don't worry, you can, you'll never be loved, you're very hard, it's very hard for you to recognize anyone loving you. It really is. If you believe that you're not, you're not worthy of being loved, you will be blind to people loving you. You won't. You'll never trust it. You'll always think they're out for something. You'll never be able to enjoy anything on that level because there's a belief that you're not worthy of it. So if this person is trying to give you something, that must be a reason because I should definitely not be getting any fucking love. If they knew what I've done and this and that, yes? All these old ideas. More and more, the aperture of, that receives and expresses life through gets smaller and smaller and smaller and you get to be alone and right. That's all you get at the end. You get to have a big story while you're right and you're fucking alone. And but you're not alone. You're in that little ass of self. And it's gonna freaking beat the hell out of supposedly you. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna string you up every fucking which way. It'll hang you so many different ways. <laughs> Let's look at it this way. You really fucked up. Let's look at it this way. You really fucked up. Let's look at it this way again. You fucked up. Yeah, you really, really fucked up. Oh, thank you, thank you. Any more? Yes. Let me, let's go. And you fucked up a lot. Let's go over all the times you fucked up. And this is just one out of many times you fucked up. And therefore, I proclaim you a fuck up. From now on, you're a fuck up. Oh, thank you. And I deserve it. Yes, bring it on. Punch me, throw, it, throw that weight on, I'm all right, I can take it. Life sucks. Yeah. I'm not getting what I want. You see, everything is, every, for me, everything is rooted from where you're looking at life from. Everything. How could life be any other way than where you're looking at it from? Where you're looking at it from is the soft source of where all the meanings come out of to give to what's happening. And there's tons of meaning being thrown on what's happening. Tons of stuff. And they have a sticking agent if you're identified as a self. They'll stick. When it says someone's out to get you and there's really no evidence that that's the case, it'll still stick. You'll fucking believe it. You'll believe your own bullshit. Yeah. 
and you won't be you won't be open to learn either. You'll have you will not have an open mind. You won't be honest, and you definitely won't be willing. You won't. You'll be closed. Yeah. You're not willing to do anything you don't want to do. Yes. You're not open to freaking anything, and you're not honest because you're taking yourself to be something that you're not. How dishonest can can life be? But there is a solution. My attention and interest, my faith, if put into the thought system, produces, I look just like every other devotee of mine, a wreck. I may look great outside, but it's like a crumbling edifice. In the inside, I'm constantly in what's not happening. Constantly. Stacking up stories. The same faith, if put into centeredness or beingness, produces an ease and comfort. You can let bygones be bygones, yes? Life is seen as just happening. No one's out to get you. Life isn't got a fucking little heart on for you. It's not fucking with you. It's just what's happening. And even that's a stretch. Because you you'd have to take all the saran wrap off your seeing <laughs> to maybe even get a glimpse of actually what is happening. Yeah, so, yeah. I like when I read these things because I, it reminds me of the whole process of recovery for me. And I can see the uh, parallels, yes? And how these masters, not, dress, not addressing directly at alcoholism, but we're just an extreme subdivision of self-centeredness, that it fits us perfectly, what they were saying, yeah? And that, and I like it because it agrees with things I've said too. Yeah. I mean, I've been saying the same stuff in different ways, so that's what I like. <laughs> I wouldn't bring someone here that said, the way is to, you know, surrender to a person and do whatever they wanted you to do. I wouldn't do that because I'm not into that. I tried it once. It didn't work for me. Hey, that's it. Any questions? I hope you didn't mind tonight. I just thought I'd take a different direction tonight. Yeah? I think it worked out pretty good.